Blue Collar Fitness. What is Blue Collar? Blue Collar is a mindset and attitude, and it's work that you can be proud of. I'm Trevor Powers. I'm Connor Burton. And I'm Josh Sargent. Whether you go to the gym, work at the gym, own the gym, or if you're just a creeper pretending to do curls watching girls on the elliptical, this podcast is for you, even you. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Blue Collar Fitness. Uh, today, we have an awesome guest on today, one of my mentors and a really awesome strength coach, Michael Johnson. He's head of uh, Olympic Strength and Conditioning Sports at Oregon State University. I believe he's been there uh, for quite some time now. Since uh, 2012. Oh, since 2012. Okay. Uh, so he'll have a lot of awesome information for us. We'll be asking uh, all the questions. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Let's go. What's up, Mike? What's up, man? How's it going, man? How's it going? Okay, right, hang it up. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the studio, man. Can you guys hear me? Yes, Loud and clear. All right, good. Perfect. Perfect. So uh Trevor is uh joining us remotely as well from Texas. And uh we got behind the scenes here, we got our producer dave and then uh this is blue collar fitness man and connor <laughs> i'm right here yeah, this, yeah, this, this is connor sorry yeah yeah my, I, I, believe that I saw you one time on campus uh remember you spoke at uh my kinesiology practicum class a couple years ago and you were there with kyle bangan and i actually interned with kyle oh, so okay I, yeah i remember you, I, you hopefully i spoke well enough to ask me back on something like this <laughs> It was, it was awesome, man. I remember hearing about your morning routine and like you talked about like walking your dog in the morning. I, th- I think you mentioned like getting up at four in the morning. I was like, this guy has a routine. It's awesome. And uh, do you know my friend, uh, my friend Connor? Well, my name is Connor, which is funny. Uh, my friend Connor actually worked there for a while as an intern, Connor Hennessy. Yeah, I remember him. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually gave him a reference for a job at that children's farm home. Oh, Hopefully nice. you got that or I don't know. But uh Somebody <laughs> called me and I said good things about him. He was a he was a big help in the in the weight room. Perfect. Are we live, Dave? We are. Oh, we're live. We're we going. are live. We're recording. This is it. <laughs> we're we're in, we're in it. In it. Start it at any time. And then Perfect. Okay. Uh, welcome everybody to uh, Blue Collar Fitness. We have a guest today, Michael Johnson. He is uh, head of Olympic sports at Oregon State for strength conditioning. Well, I wouldn't say I'm the head. I just um, currently I have gymnastics, wrestling, women's rowing, and um, the sprinters and jumpers with track. Perfect. Perfect. So uh, I thought the first thing maybe we could go over with the listeners is uh, tell everybody kind of, you know, what what is the road to becoming a uh, D1 strength and conditioning coach? I think a lot of a lot of people are interested in that. You know, a lot of high school kids. Um, and a lot of just it's it's an interesting career, and I think it's a career that a lot of people want to do, but it's not maybe not necessarily as easy as uh, you know as it, it or as rosy as it might be perceived. No, you're definitely right. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different ways um, you can become a strength coach, but generally, if you want to be a collegiate strength and conditioning coach, you need to do an internship at a school you know, like a Pac-12, SEC, a Power 5 school. And then from there, you're going to need to do a graduate assistant position somewhere. 
ideally at a power five school. And then from there, hopefully full-time job or, um, you know, maybe a part-time, but full-time would be ideal, obviously. Um, but the, the difficult thing is it takes, you know, I interned at Oregon State for over two years for free, you know, and a lot of people don't want to work for free, especially um, a lot of a lot of kids nowadays graduate from college and then just get into an internship. So I did it while I was still in school um, and I didn't even know strength coach was a job. Um, you know, I was a baseball player and my original plan was to be a elementary PE teacher and coach high school baseball. Um, I thought that'd be a good fit for me. I wanted to be in athletics somehow and I wanted to work with people and teach. So I thought that was my best option. Um, when I was done playing baseball, that's when I got into competing Olympic weightlifting. And honestly, I wasn't that good at it. I was technically okay, but I wasn't going to win any international competitions. Um, but I think that helped me um, become a good coach because I wasn't the strongest guy ever. So I had to really figure out how to do things correctly and really periodize my, my training and not overdo it or underdo it, just be just right. So um, I got into that. And then, you know, one of my good friends said he's going to intern at the Sports Performance Center in Oregon State and become a strength coach. And I was like, what is that? And um, I was kind of interested in it, but I didn't think it was a real job with actual health insurance and retirement and all that. When I found out it was, then you know, I was all over it. I wanted, if this was a real job that actually has that kind of stuff and I get to teach people about something I, I really love, um, that's when I decided I'm all in on this. So chose to, you know, work for free and um, go to school. And, um, you know, from Oregon State, that's when I got um, my graduate assistant position at Hawaii. So um, oh, nice. Uh, while I was at Oregon State, I, I got my undergraduate and then I got my master's because I had a hard time getting a graduate position. They are hard to get. Um, so I was tired of waiting around. So I decided, you know what, I'm just going to get a master's here. I also got my teaching license just in case this doesn't work out. We'll back um, up. And then, um, you know, I graduated with my master's on a Saturday. And I think the next day I flew to Hawaii and um, lived in the weight room for a month um, wow. until nice. I got um, so I just got up early and, you know, that's like really early in the weight room. If groups are starting at six to make sure no one knows I'm living in there. Uh, <laughs> my that, seems, change. that seems like mm. a commonality between a lot of strength coach right. graduate assistants. I, I, I don't know how many podcasts I've heard. They were living in the weight room trying to not let people know. Yeah. So, I mean, and if I wasn't sleeping in there, I was always there, you know, looking back now, I wish. I would have enjoyed my weekends a little bit more living in Hawaii because I would spend pretty much all day lifting in there and uh, doing work stuff or whatever. But um, I still had a, a wonderful experience there and it, it's definitely my second home out there. But, um, you know, I was only there for a little bit over a year and my goal was to try to make that GA position a full-time job. I figured my best bet to get a full-time job is right where I was at and I wanted to work hard and, you know, prove my worth to be there. Um, and I feel like that was going to start to happen because I already had a master's degree and um, they only had a, a head guy, a full-time assistant, and then three GAs. So they definitely needed more coaches there, someone that could, you know, be there long-term. 
Um, but anyway, um, a job opened up at Oregon State, and you know they contacted me if I'd be interested in coming back, and I told them I would. So um, that's, I applied and came back, and feel like I'm a beaver all the way. Graduated from there twice, and this is my eighth year there now. Congrats, man! Nice. Thank How you. Has- how has COVID treated you guys? How's how's that uh, that process right now with all the athletes coming back and dealing with social distancing and not knowing if there's going to be a season? Um, I mean, it hasn't. I mean, been easy um, personally. I I am worried about you know my job and other people I work with and all that. Um, but I've really enjoyed um, my time at home. I got a 14 month old daughter. Um, we got a little farm outside of Albany with, you know, I got three steers and a cow and I just finished, you know, baling all my hay myself. I cut it, raked it, baled it, stacked it all myself. So, um, I've had plenty to keep me busy here. Congrats, Um, man. Thank you. But, But at the same time, you know, Oregon state had, um, they laid off a lot of people. Luckily I made the cut, but, um, you know, it wasn't the people that got laid off were bad at their job. I was honestly shocked by nearly all of them, you know, how that went down, but there's just not ideal times for college sports right now. And it's hopefully we're at the end of it, but unfortunately it looks like we're not, you know, things are, you know, I don't know if football is going to happen yet. And if that doesn't happen, then I don't know financially how that, you know, plays out. Um, Hopefully I'll continue to be a strength coach, but I may have to get fitted for a shovel and get a different job if this doesn't work out. So we'll see how it goes. Keep bailing hay. I'm sure yeah. you could. Uh, I'm sure you could do just fine in the private training sector. It's pretty lucrative, and you have more than the qualifications to uh, to do good there. I'm actually going to go spend the weekend throwing hay bales with my uncle. He uh, yeah. somehow roped me into it. <laughs> I've been doing that with him since I was like 15. So he's like, hey, I uh, need some help this weekend. No, I, I, love, I love doing all that kind of stuff. And beer tastes so good when you're done after all that I, kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's like a tra- tradition. Exactly. It goes with it. <laughs> so do you have any uh, any advice for strength coaches, gym owners, trainers, with um you know any of the, maybe some of the policies that Oregon State has implemented with the new um like maybe new guidelines or anything that you guys have learned to keep athletes safe through COVID-19 um i mean i i had my doubts cuz we were at home for you know 4 months before any athletes came back and we just started working out um me personally last week with athletes and football maybe 2 or 3 weeks before this um and i wasn't sure how it was going to go and you know we went over it we had lots of meetings over the you know on the zoom calls and um but actually i feel safer with these kids sweating all over the place working hard than i do going to the grocery store with how we set it up um so the student athletes you know they have a different protocol that they have to go through every day um, before they can even be entered in a facility and staff is the same way. We have to check in, um, you know, answer some questions, temperature check. Um, you have to wear a mask everywhere and we get a bracelet that's a different color every day and you have to get that before you can go to any facility. 
Um, before athletes can come into our weight room, you know, there's dots on the ground that they have to stand on, you know, six or 10 feet apart, whatever they set it at. Um, and they don't just come in at their leisure. So if the lift is at 3 p.m., they have to be on time or they're not working out. Um, we go get them and bring them in. We spray all their hands with this cleaner. Um, everyone gets their own water bottle that we provide. And then they go directly to the rack and don't move. And luckily, we have 40 platforms in our um, facility. Um, and I don't know if you guys knew they redid it. Yeah, you guys were uh, oh. in the uh, Truax Center for a while there. Yeah, so we renovated it, moved in for like two weeks, and then had to shut down. Um, but anyway, we have 40 racks, and it's basically front and back um, um, style racks. So it's basically diagonal. You'll have you know somebody you know here, and then here, and then here. So it just goes like that. So there's no one you're breathing on in front of you, and no one to your right or left. So you can't get that many people in there, um, you know, and that makes it very difficult to get a football team through at 10 kids per hour. Um, so for me, fortunately, um, I don't have a lot of kids here right now. Um, you know, I just had a group of, I think, eight, and that really wasn't too bad. But basically, after they come in, spray their hands, give them the water bottle, I have them go directly to their rack and leave their water bottle at the rack they're at. There's, um, you can either pin a sheet to the rack that they don't touch. Um, and we also have 16 TVs in there that um, you can put the workout up and their weight sheets. Um, so basically they go to the rack and we go outside, they warm up. I have everyone warm up um, across the football field. So every line that has a number on it. So somebody's on the 10, the 20, the 30. So there's enough space. So you're not in somebody's jet stream behind you or anything like that when you're running. Um, then after the work, the warm up, they just come in, um, do their lift. Um, nobody shares equipment. Every rack has um, special cleaner that our um, chemistry department made. We've probably got like wow. hundreds of gallons of this stuff, and we spray wow. everywhere. Um, that house, university. You know, they do their workout. When they're done, um, they dump their water bottle out on the turf. They take their water bottle to our nutrition center and leave it there. We um, put them in the dishwasher, and then everyone gets their own snack bag that I give them. So I clean their hands again. Um, they get their little snack bag with a granola bar or protein shake, whatever is in there, and they go right out the door. There's no eating or hanging out. So it's everything's very controlled. Um, so um it's honestly the best we could do and no one's really around each other so as long as everything's being clean we're staying positive that this in our area works uh, the hard truth of it is if we are perfect and no one gets infected with this but you know other pactual schools and across the country still have trouble that still affects us in some right. way i know the acc just delayed um their fall season and the ivy leagues um, just scrapped the whole fall season. Um, oh, man. And originally, you know, what basketball season or the whole year was spring season was canceled. Um, and that started with the Ivy League. So who knows if everything follows suit with how they do it. But we will see. Fingers so crossed, our, man. But, yeah, that's our, our guidelines. And um, 
you know, I was just as skeptical as anyone, you know, having someone come in the weight room because they're notorious for being just a petri dish of disaster. But um, it's actually very clean. And we also shut down in the middle of the day for a professional cleaning crew to come in and sanitize everything with some fancy spray all over the place, the floor, equipment, everything. And then they do it again when we shut down um, at the end of the day. So everything is pretty clean in there. So no more uh, six weight room interns half-heartedly slopping. Using the same No, I mean, uh, I, I didn't take any interns for the summer because I just was straight with them. I have no idea if there's going to be a summer or, or what. And, um, you know, if we make a commitment to you, I want to not put you in a bad spot. Um, I did. I do know football brought in a few interns and they seem like they're doing a really good job. I haven't really got a chance to really talk to most of them. They haven't even seen me without a mask on, but um, they seem like they're working hard. And, you know, working football is not easy at this point in time with that many groups. It's, n- it's never easy anyways. And now it's mm-hmm. extra hard. I, I really appreciate you having me out there all those summers, man. That was that was a great learning experience for me. So. Again, I mean, I've said thank you before, but I, I want to say it again. Um, and, and I think that's one of the. Things, right having you. I, I think that's one of the great things about you. Um, what, one of the missions of Blue Collar Fitness is we want to help you know, new personal trainers, think people who want to think about becoming personal trainers. But one thing I noticed about Josh is that Josh is very much about safety um, and making sure that the client does their exercises correctly. Do you have any advice for, for new personal trainers of how to ensure that they can get their client, like they know how to? teach them and watch them uh, so they perform things safely so the client doesn't get hurt. Um, could you kind of recap the majority of that question? I couldn't really hear a lot of it. Oh, yeah, sorry about that. So, so one of the missions of Blue Collar Fitness is to help uh, new trainers, uh, established trainers, who might not understand um, the, the client's health and, and injuries especially. One thing I've noticed about Josh is he is one of the strongest trainers I've ever met where he consistently watches out to make sure that the uh, client is doing their shots correctly, that they're safe. He teaches them how to do it. Uh, what advice do you have for new trainers to help them to get that mindset? Um, I think it doesn't matter if you're working with somebody going to their second Olympics or somebody that's 40 years old, just beginning to work out. You need to have a needs analysis with that person and figure it out. I mean, there, there isn't a one size fits all for everyone. Um, but get to know that person, see what their goals are, evaluating where they're at. Um, plus, um, no matter who they are, you know, movement's got to be the first thing. If, if you try to just load up weight and just get after it and have some crazy workout, it may not work out well for you. But if, if you can just get them moving well, doing everything technically sound, and then start piling on the weight over time that's when you get some results but if um if you're just worried about chasing numbers um making sure they're you know super tired when they leave um that would be my advice i think a lot of people and i was probably the same way when i was younger looking at some of the workouts i used to do personally and even as a ga at hawaii you know it was probably too much um but that's what you want to do you want to you know make it really hard but you just gotta especially in um i would say the private sector or or not the strength and conditioning but even in mine you need repeat business um you want them to come back you want them to feel like i'm an ally for them 
an advocate for their health and fitness and I have their back and we're in this together. Um, and not a drill sergeant. So, um, right. Anyway, that, that would be my advice. You need to get to know them. Um, and it, it'll work out if, if you guys are all on the same page. Needs analysis. There you go. But, uh, so one of the things that I thought was unique, uh, about you is you, you didn't go the CSCS route. Um, most people go through the NSCA and get the, the CSCS certification. You actually decided to go a different route. Maybe you can talk about why you decided to do that and then what it took to get that credential. Well, um, it kind of just took care of itself. So usually to get a GA spot, you're, you have to have CSCS or the CSCCA. Um, I chose to go with the CSCCA um, just because my mentor at Hawaii decided that's what we're going to do and he paid for it. So that was really how it went. And um, back in those days, I mean, I think I started interning in 2009. So, I mean, I've been at this a while and this profession has changed quite a bit. Now you can't do anything without even AED, CPR, you know, you got to have those. It's a liability for the school because um, recently some strength coaches have, you know, put kids in the hospital or killed somebody and then they're not even certified. And, wow. and that, that falls on the school. So. Um, but basically it, it boiled down to money. Um, when I was finishing graduate school at Oregon state, um, I probably should have gotten the CSCC or the CSCS, but, um, I was just busy with other things, finishing my master's and, um, you know, money was tight and all that kind of stuff. So, and then I got the GA and didn't even worry about it. And then, um, you know, when I got to Hawaii, um, he was a big CSCCA guy and he was my mentor because it takes a lot of hours to do the CSCCA. Um, so for those of you who don't know the difference, the CSCS and CSCCA um, are equivalent as far as in my profession to get hired. Um, but a lot, um, there's a lot more that goes into getting the CSCCA. So CSCS, you just need a college degree and I think anyone can really take it and that's about it. It doesn't require, you know, really an, an internship or anything like that. Um, the CSCCA it requires so many hours um, with a qualified mentor. Um, and then the test, it was only offered one time a year in one location. So there's a written test and a practical um, portion of the test. And I think there was six tables and one table is Olympic lifting, one is conditioning, one is warm-ups, program design, just those type of things. And at each table, there's um, strength coaches there that basically decide whether you know what you're doing or not. And for the most part, you know, you can, if you have a good reason for why you did it, you can defend it. But the, the table that kind of gets everyone hung up is the conditioning table, because that's where it's actually science and there is a right or wrong answer. So, um, you know, I remember in my group, I feel like I was the only one that got his paperback. So that's what I was told is that the last station, if they don't give you your paperback, somebody failed you on something. So oh, I remember my, my group was like, Oh, did we do something wrong? Cause we're actually giving it back to them. Um, but then I think you have to go appeal it and there's a little process. Maybe you can defend it and save yourself. Um, but I know things have changed a little bit since then. I think you can, I think they actually take, you can take the written test more than once a year. And the practical portion is at the conference once a year. 
Um, but yeah, back in those days, if you failed it, you got to wait another year. And I really didn't want that to happen. I, I studied for that. Like, I mean, I couldn't think and I had a brain injury. You know, I really went through everything, trying to learn everything on that one reading. And we flew from Hawaii to Florida to take it too. So I wow. stayed up all night because by the time I got there, it was an eight hour difference. And, uh, oh, man. Yes, it was in like a few hours. So I was like, screw it. I'm not going to sleep to risk it. So just went up, got up and took it. You said you had a TBI as well at the same time. Uh, what was that? You said you had a, a brain injury as well? Or? No, I was just joking. I, uh, I didn't oh. have a brain injury. I was just saying <laughs> I studied like I had a brain injury because uh, oh, gotcha. I didn't take anything for granted or anything like that. So anyway, I'm glad you brought that up and people weren't. Yeah, I mean, it makes Make sure there, man, you didn't, uh, you know, I, I remember, uh, we would have to go do those, uh, concussion tests at Oregon state. And I always failed. I think I just was bad at the test, but <laughs> after, after you get hit in the head, but, uh, so you mentioned programming and conditioning, um, you know, maybe you could give our listeners some insight into how you set, you progress an athlete from freshman to senior year and what your goals are for them um you know you can choose one sport or talk about multiple sports up to you all right i get these questions a lot and there's so much i i don't know where to begin but the simple short answer is um basically just teach them how to lift correctly and safely um and then pile on the weights as you go but my first priority is conditioning in the beginning. So um, the reason is you can fix or improve someone's conditioning or work capacity fairly quickly. And a lot of times you don't have much time before they start their preseason or whatever it was with the coaches. So um, you can get their conditioning up pretty quickly, but strength takes a long time to get. So I prioritize the conditioning first, and then in the weight room, it's just technique, technique, technique all the time. And as they are able, start progressing them. But it's just a simple, simple uh, linear pr progression on all this. Um, so nothing really crazy. But strength is once you have it, you have it. If you never had it, it's going to be difficult to get it. But conditioning, if you had it at one time, you'll get it back really quick. Or if you never had it, you can still get it pretty quick. It just takes showing up every day. That's about how it goes. So if there's any specific questions, I can answer on that. But every time, I, I really don't know where to begin. There's just so much going on with, with everything. Yeah, so for conditioning, you know, you, okay, so you can improve their cardiovascular system fairly quickly. What, two to three weeks, you start to see some really quick changes. And a lot of times when you get a new athlete, you might not have a long time with them. And a lot of, you know, maybe they were lazy that summer. They're not coming in in good shape and you need to, you need to get them in deep, their heart and lungs in shape to be able to deal with, with practices and, um, and, and possibly preseason games coming up quickly. So if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, seems like that's what you were saying there for conditioning. What's some of the, the techniques, the, the methods, the tools specifically that you like to use you, know, you can get as specific as, you know, med ball throws or tempo runs, whatever. Well, um, I guess for most athletes, I really do like the med ball tempo runs. 
Um, and that's basically where we do med ball exercise, throw it against the wall. I usually do about 20 reps or 10 each side of everything, and then just run across the football field and back. So basically a half gasser paired up with um, a med ball exercise. Um, and I really like that because there's almost no way to hide from it. Some kids are really good at running, they're efficient. Um, and if you're an efficient runner, a lot of times you're, you're not really improving your, your fitness on that. But the med ball, um, there's so many different ways to do it and you're not getting a chance to really rest in between. Um, so the, there's not much rest time. However, you need to be careful with that and not overdo it. There still has to be a work to rest ratio protocol that you need to um, keep. Um, but as you go and progress, you can shorten that and, and get more reps in your set. So, um, you know, wrestling, gymnastics, when they come in, usually we'll do, um, you know, probably two days a week of the med ball tempo run and probably two days a week of just the um, tempo run where they just go. 100 meters or 110 yards, um, you know, and then rest and come back. It's very low intensity, but gets the job done um, for kids that you've never worked with or haven't worked with for a long time. Um, but the the med ball tempo is a favorite of mine because it seems to get people into shape really quick. Um, that being said, I don't like to do a lot of sprinting until that base has been built. Um, and ideally, if I had more time, I might not do a ton of running until, you know, we get a few weeks in because sometimes people run to get into shape, especially people that don't really know what they're doing, and then they end up getting hurt right away. So really what you need to do is you need to get into shape to run, especially sprinting. You can't just start out people sprinting and it looks really intense. They're probably going to pop something. So as far as conditioning goes it needs to be low intensity in the beginning you also need to work on running form so you're not popping hamstrings that makes people because ultimately as a strength coach at the collegiate level and above your your ultimate goal is to keep your athletes healthy right you know, the, yeah the teams that are the most successful if you talk about winner, winning and losing they're the teams that keep their marquee players out there the whole time or not having significant losses with their team. Um, so if, if I can do that, plus not hurt anyone, that's goal number one. Um, Cause to me, it just doesn't make any sense. If our goal in the weight room is to get better and I hurt someone trying to get better, that's very hard to defend myself. Of what, what exactly, exactly I was doing. So, but that's basically specifically what I do with um, conditioning, you know, the tempo runs, med ball tempo runs, very low intensity, just, you know, build the volume over the weeks. And then when you think they're ready for more, that's when you transition to something a little more intense. Um, but that really builds the base. So how did you develop your own strength and conditioning philosophy? What strength coaches or books or uh, influences did you have um, that, that kind of built how you coach today? Um, I don't know if there's any books. I think it was mostly my mentors. Um, you know, when I started Oregon State, um, I just kind of assumed that's how a lot of strength coaches are, you know, the background. So Jeff Macy is my current boss, and he's the one that hired everyone that I interned with. So Jeff was a one. He was a two-time national weightlifting champion. He held the Ameri he was an American record holder in the snatch, clean jerk, and total. 
I think he was supposed to be at the 92 Olympics, but the trials didn't go well. Um, oh, man. This guy was on McDonald's posters and cups. Like, he was the real deal. Um, and anyway, he spent 10 years in the NBA, and he um, his interns were the people he hired at Oregon State um, that were my mentors. So um, Jeff wasn't there when I was an intern, but every his protégés were, as as you would say. Um, but then Jeff came back after he was with Milwaukee Bucks for um, five years. So I felt like I already had a good relationship with Jeff. We had similar or exact philosophies as far as strength and conditioning goes before I even met him. Um, but basically, you know, our philosophies are, you know, you know, first do no harm, maximize the genetic potential of each athlete and cultivate a culture that um, is with that of the head coach. You know, you got to be on the same page with everything. So that's what I do. And that's what everyone in the in the weight room does around us. I don't think you can really argue a different way to go about your business. Uh, speaking of philosophies, what do you have uh, like a changing philosophy throughout the year? Like as the seasons change uh, with your athletes, like versus in season and in season, off season and uh, like preseason, like what, what is your philosophy with, with like season per season? Well, I mean, my, I guess my philosophy never changes necessarily, but my way to go about things definitely does. So usually like, let's say, I don't know, gymnastics is kind of an easy one for me. Um, you know, they start in the, in the fall um, and that's basically our off season training. Um, and we basically start out, you know, conditioning is a priority, reteaching exercises, you know, if they're seniors. Um, and then basically once they prove to me they still got it, then we, we cut them loose. The difference is between the newcomers and, the, you know, um, returners, I have ideas of where they're at and they're going to have numbers on their sheets and they're a little bit more advanced in exercises and, you know, what we're doing. Um, but basically our goals at that time are, um, just build the base as far as work capacity goes and then transition into strength um, to start getting them stronger. And then as we get closer to the season, um, I start focusing more on less, less conditioning and more sprinting and more power exercises as far as, you know, we'll snatch and clean them and we're starting to go heavier. Instead of doing sets of five, it's maybe, you know, singles, doubles. Um, we never do a max out with any of my teams, but sometimes we'll do like, I usually will put like one to two. If you can get two, go for it. If that first one was rough, you're done. And that's, that's the way I keep them safe. I've never really been a fan of the whole max out week. Um, but then once the, we get into the season, um, I'll usually drop everything down to, you know, 60% for that first week leading up to the weekend meet. Um, and it's only one workout a week and I have workout A, workout B, and we basically just alternate it. So for two weeks, they'll be at about 60%. And then so the intensity is still high, but the volume is 60%. No, the, um, basically drop volume and intensity so intensity is 60 percent. everything's really low at the beginning because you got to think there's a lot of stress going on that you don't really account for so traveling they're nervous about competing again um and i don't know if you gymnastics is a different sport because 
you have to be as perfect as possible. It's not like in football, if you screw up, you got 40 seconds and you get another chance unless you're done, you get pulled off the field or such, you know, all that kind of stuff. But in gymnastics, you basically got one shot to be perfect. So the focus that these uh, women have is just incredible. And it's it's very stressful. So I drop everything at that week because all that can play a role in how they're going to perform in the weight room and, you know, in the gym. Um, You know, they may not even sleep well if that's coming up and that that affects recovery. Um, So basically what I do is I drop it down and every so for two weeks, they do basically the same intensity between two different workouts. And then week three and four, I just go up two and a half percent. And by the time we're about at Pac-12 championships, you know, they're hitting 90 percent or more or even PRing. But that's 90 percent or 100 percent off what they did in the fall. So it's hard to conceptualize that um, because a lot of people think it's 100 percent of right now or a PR, but that they're 100 percent or 90 percent might only be 75 or 80 because their whole strength levels go up. So even in the season, I don't really like to use the word maintain because I don't want to maintain anything. You know, we always want to be making improvements and getting better, but it's tricky to do that and take away from them as athletes at their sport. So that's why I, I go up very slowly. And some kids, they just stay at this percentage and, and that's it. Um, I just feel like if they're a all around performer, you know, they have four events versus somebody that only does bars. Um, so that's something you got to take into consideration between different sports. What are the stresses on this kid's position or are, are they starting? Are they not? Um, but basically, um, you know, I try to get them to nearly PR or get close to it right before, you know, the Pac-12 championships and then drop them down again. And basically just from there, that's when I just maintain, you know, through the postseason. I don't want to mess them up at that point. There's only you've been going so long doing the same two workouts. Um, there's not as much to be gained there's more to be lost if, if something goes wrong. So at that point, just maintain at the end. Um, and then the spring season, um, usually we take two weeks off after the season. Um, nothing, don't do anything. And then the spring season, um, that's my favorite time to work with that group because that's when we really get to lift and train. And, you know, we go three days a week instead of two. And, um, you know, we lift, run. And I basically train them like Olympic weightlifters. You know, the the girls really love it. They're awesome at it. If you look at a lot of the elite weightlifters now, um, they were former gymnasts. So um, it makes sense. That's true. Anyway, but I, I love working with that group, and the springtime's awesome. But you know, I also try to do things they never did before either. So that's why I went to the weightlifting thing. So after eight seasons with them. Um, you know, I just wanted to do things different that they weren't always doing to avoid that overuse injury uh, syndrome. Um, but eventually, have, what was that? Do you have anything specific that you do with gymnasts coming into your program to add some robustness or injury prevention style? I My team, my gymnastics team last year was just plagued with injuries. And one of the things I did, sat down with the coaches with right before COVID was these girls don't rest enough um you know they they get up at 
six to be on the bus by, you know, seven. They're in class at 730. They get out of school at 230. They show up for practice at three. They get done with practice at 730. They're in the weight room by 730 twice a week. They're done at 830. And then they do, you know, they do homework until midnight. And then they wake up at 630 again. And they're just, they're getting, uh, they're getting killed. You know, next thing you know, we have, you know, sprained ankles and t- torn hip labrums and tweaked backs. And it's, uh, it's a mess out there. You have, do you have anything for, uh, for that specifically? Well, I mean, as far as exercises go to fix all that or recovery methods, no. But fortunately, I have some really good coaches I work with that are very mindful of that. Um, the head coach is her husband is the assistant. So they were UCLA gymnasts and they were very good. Um, the head coach, she, I think, was she got like 10th at the world championships one year. And her husband, I think, was like, gold medalist at the Olympic trials for the rings or something. But he told me how the rules were back then. If, well, they were different back then. If they were how they are today, he would have went to the Olympics, but they've changed things. So um, my point is they were very good at what they did and they actually lived it. Um, So they understand what these young women are going through and they're very mindful of giving them time off and eating. So like the schedule you gave, the first thing I thought is like, when are they eating? You know, if they're up that early and, um, I scheduled, I took 10 minutes out of the lift for them to eat. I was like, guys, what's the last Mm. time you ate? They're like, Oh, 11 AM. I'm like, yeah. So I I, I sent out emails every other week, remind them, Hey, eat, drink, have a water bottle with you all day, bring snacks. You know, they're undernourished. Uh, not eating, not sleeping enough. And then they're trying to go do these high level skills. Yeah. So that's a disastrous combination, you know, and you see the same thing with cross country runners and, you know, just overworked and undernourished. Um, And then with being collegiate athletes, you know, you're stressed with your social life, with school, whatever. So it's very hard to find any college athletes, regardless of the sport or, you know, male, female that are doing what has to be done nutritionally. It's just, they don't understand. They don't care. Resources aren't there. Um, You know, uh, working with football um, years back, you know, everyone would make this huge change in the eight weeks prior to pro day, whether they stayed here or went somewhere, you know, fancy to train. you know, and basically all they said was, man, sleeping and eating right. We're just, you know, like fishing with dynamite. And we're like, we told you that, you know, the day you walked in here and it just takes some oh, time. Dude. To um, there's one um, guy that basically he specializes in, you know, pro day and combine prep for NFL athletes. And he makes all those kids stay at his house. Yeah. You know, so he can control when they sleep, exactly what they eat, everything. And his before and after pictures are unreal. And all his kids, he he would train a lot of Oregon State kids and all of his athletes would just come in on point, um, you know, because he teaches them the drills. Because a lot of those combine drills, there's you got to get your steps right. It's I don't want to use the word cheating, but there's a way you do that. Because if you've ever played with a stopwatch, it is so easy to lose two, three tenths of a second. And that's millions or you know, you don't even get an opportunity. 
Um, right. So he basically says, this is how you do it. Um, you can be not a very good athlete and he can make you look like you're really good. So what's, what's his name? Uh, Chad EK. Chad EK. Okay. Yeah. And he's a, he's an Oregon guy or. No, he's, he's lives in Hawaii. Last time I knew he went from Arizona, Hawaii. I'm not sure exactly where he's at. Um, but you could check him out. He'd probably be a good podcast person. Um, he was actually, he was a lifter with Jeff Macy. Um, I could be wrong on this, but he was like the only guy to, or not the only guy, but he did something with bench press and snatch. Like, you know, and most people that snatch a lot probably can't bench, you know, it's just, right. those. but this guy was good at both at the same time. So I would check him out if you need help finding them. I, I'm sure I can track them down for you. Yeah. Maybe you could put in a word for us or something. I, I, <laughs> I was, I'd love to get Jeff on the podcast. He seems like a guy of few words sometimes, but maybe, maybe we get him on sometimes. I doubt he's going to do a podcast just for that reason. He's a man of few words. <laughs> we'll have to start pulling teeth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you have maybe uh, some some books that you would recommend for people in strength and conditioning or the personal training sector? Um, you know, maybe books that have influenced you or just ones that you thought were awesome. You could even get outside of strength and conditioning and just books that, you know, even like psychology. Well, that's what I was thinking. I got some books back here. Um, All right. Look at that bookshelf. Let's um, go. So I actually, because um, I had two hip surgeries, just like, well, I had the same thing as Josh. Just like me. Um, so, and I couldn't go to the conference one year, so I took an online class. And I thought this was going to be a real pain in the neck, but I couldn't. I was laying on the floor for like eight hours a day. Um, so I took this online class that got the CUs I needed, um, and it was actually pretty cool. We basically just re read some books and wrote about them. Um, but this book right here, um, it's the Essential Wooden. So Essential John, Wooden. John Wooden, the basketball UCLA. Writing that down, Connor. Okay. Um, basically, it just talks about his philosophy of how he treats people and recruiting. And I think in a world that we live in today with how people recruit and what we prioritize, um, I think if you go with that and that's how you treat people and um, what you find important um, will really blow your mind. But that's, I read a lot of books. Um, I had to build this huge bookshelf. Um, after I built it, it was a miracle I got it in the house. Um, <laughs> but um, that book really stuck out and I, a lot of it was stuff I really believed, but having a coach that has achieved so much um, kind of just reinforced that I was on the right track. But I would definitely read that book. The it's called Wooden. Yeah the uh, the essential wooden. Essential wood. Okay, the essential wooden. Okay, a lifetime of lessons on leaders and leadership. Yeah, got it. That's that's the one. Any any others? That's the one. Um, I mean, I've read a lot of training books, but to be honest with you, you, that's something a lot of us, you'll learn over time. And as far as um, like interns go, I can teach almost anyone how to lift or how technique should be. But what separates good coaches from the bad are basically how can they relate to people? It's about, you know, building relationships with them, having comeback business. Um, 
you know, that's very powerful stuff because eventually, you know, with everything being virtual one day, um, you know, there's a lot of workout apps where it's just, here you go, you know, that eliminates, you know, people like us training people. But, um, I know people that have worked with me aren't going to really want to do that. It's just not going to be the same. Um, so, and a lot of the athletes I train, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing this to make friends or, you know, to be their buddy while I'm training them. But over time you have that, that respect, you know, like, you know, it's family, you get really right. close with them and you get to know them very well. And, um, uh, recently I had a former gymnast ask if I could officiate her wedding. Wow. And I, it was like, she asked if I had a, if I was an ordained minister and I said, that's, <laughs> that's one certification I do not have. Um, <laughs> but I was like, you must be joking. And she said, no. And I was like, you don't have a pastor or a youth group enthusiast or somebody that can do this. And, um, she said, well, we want somebody that knows the both of us because um, her um, fiance was a football player here and I trained him since he was in high school. He did my camp. That's um, awesome. Man. So I knew both of them and then I, I agreed I'll do it. And um, they, I said, send me whatever I need to do. And I just went online and did it. I don't know how this is going to go, but um, my point to that is, is, you know, they must have thought very highly of me throughout the years to ask me out of all people to do this that has no experience whatsoever on their special day so it's that trust like like building that rapport and that relationship with your with your athletes like they went to you because they they knew that you were their coach and also dave you're an ordained minister too yeah I, well i wouldn't broadcast that but um probably just <laughs> going down on that put it on your resume <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I, i'm that's really not my thing. I have no intentions of doing anymore, but um, for these two, I'll definitely do my best. Well, it says a lot about, about your character, though. I mean, the fact that, the, that they um, cared enough and wanted you in their special day, that's the kind of coach that you are. That they yes. And, and, and I know Josh has been, been really excited about today, too. He speaks very highly of you. So you, you carry yourself very well because the people that you mentor and that you teach, they really care about you. Well, thank you. But yeah, that, that's really what it's all about. You know, you can, I just don't want to get to where I'm at stabbing people in the back or doing anything like that. At the end of the day, that's really all you have is what people say about you. And hopefully it's good things that I'm a good dude. Reputation. Um, I have a question. Like you mentioned uh, Chad EK doing, um, was it him that was doing the, the snatches and the bench, bench press? Yeah. Kind of a, so that's like relatively unconventional. Was there ever a time Mike, where you had to, you know, scratch plan A and B and make a plan C and be really unconventional, like with your athletes. Um, yeah, I mean, you always, you can't be afraid to jump ship on your plan. That's another mistake people make. You, you know, it's not about the X's and O's, you know, sometimes it's just not going to work. You can't always force it, you know, like some people do. So there is times where it could be as simple as front squat hurts my back. But back squat's fine. All right, you're doing this. Everyone else is front squatting. Um, but some people just think that's an attack on their ego. And, you know, right. and the big thing is you just got to talk to the athlete or the person and say what's going on or whatever. And that's another thing I do. If, if somebody's not doing something correctly, um, usually I ask, like, 
everything okay? Are you hurt or something? Because you don't want to just attack them and then they have to go on the defensive, you know, and all this and puts both parties in a bad position. So usually I just make sure everything's okay and something's not hurt. Then, all right, I was just wondering because you're not doing this correctly at all. Looks like you're hurt. So, you know, we want to do it this way. But that just puts you in a good position for them to explain what's going on. And it could be, oh, my bad. I'll do it like this and move on as opposed to verbally abusing somebody that was might not even <laughs> know they were doing something wrong. But you see that all the time too. There was a, um, a video that I saw on your, your uh, Instagram page, which you were showing demonstrating front squats, like the eccentric front squat. Um, there's some great, some great content there during the whole, the whole COVID-19, you know, lockdown. Did you ever refer athletes or have your interns go to your page or did you come up with any new kind of uh, like training app or anything like that? Um, well, I kind of shut down the Instagram or new posts during that COVID because there were some things with NCA I didn't want to get in trouble with where we weren't supposed to be conducting workouts or prescribing stuff through social media. But we did use the Team Builder app. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we use that. And basically, we send emails out to all our student athletes um, and they have to, you know, log in and create a page. Um, and then we basically made workouts and send them out to them. So between my four teams, I think I had like eight or nine different workouts going on because I had a workout that requires no equipment, just ground and that's it. And then some kids had a home gym. So I made them a workout with what they have, um, you know, and then it just kind of went on like that. Other kids were recovering from injuries. So they have a special one or one person was recovering from an injury, but she has a full home gym with everything. So I was like, all right, tell me what you got. Um, you know, one kid lives out in Alaska and her dad built her a sweet weight room out of wood and um, they got bars and weights. And so I was like, send me pictures and, you know, and she has her own workout with what she's got. So, um, that's basically what we did on that. But as far as the Instagram thing, um, I actually did at one point, um, I would just send them specific things so they knew exactly, um, you know, what I was talking about on the workout, just so there was a reference of that. Um, so a little bit, but nothing specifically posted on, on for it. Gotcha. Yeah. That, you mentioned the... Sorry, sorry. I uh, just wanted to get one question. Uh, you you mentioned the importance of of rest and, and but the difficulty of like measuring it. Uh, have you ever thought about like Josh? Josh speaks volumes about uh, the whoop strap. Um, have you ever thought of like maybe integrating something like that into uh, your athletes' lives? Like uh, I don't know something on their phone to keep track of keep track of sleep or or like keep track of when they eat and whatnot? Yeah, we've we've tried various um, methods as far as just like daily surveys. And um, I think at one time they did an app. I, I think football does right now. They have uh, like iPads in the morning and they just kind of, you know, self-survey. So who knows? They, they could have partied hard all night, but said they got nine solid hours. You don't really know. <laughs> But I know, I can't think of the name. It's been out for years. Um, there's a thing that measures basically your reaction time. And basically based off of that, um, it kind of prescribes what workout you should do. So a strength coach would have like a, 
you know, high CNS, low CNS, moderate CNS, and based on your um, reaction time, based off your, um, you know, original test when you were claimed to be fine, that's the workout you do. So if you're trash, you don't just dig your hole deeper. Um, there's another um, product out. I can't think of the name either, um, but I just saw it recently. And what you do is you put it on the rack. I don't know how it works, but apparently it measures, you know, bar velocity. It's kind of like a tendo unit. Um, but basically the athlete logs in, it creates some data. So based off, you need a lot of workouts in for it to figure out if you're primed or not. But if the bar is moving really slow or your body is sloppy or something, it kind of evaluates that you're not doing well. You know, the the difficult thing is these things cost so much money. And they basically tell you what you already know. The difference is it's actually on paper and data and all that kind of stuff. Um, are you guys familiar with Catapult and Zephyr? Um, are those? So they're, they basically do the same thing, but they also measure different things. But basically they measure player load. It's kind of an arbitrary number or uh, on how fast they run, how far they run, um, like football players getting hit. You know, all that matters in their player load. So at the end of practice, you have a you know high player load. Most likely the next day you're going to need a lighter practice. Um, and obviously, like if you run a lot, you get hit a lot. The practice was three hours long. That's difficult on your body as opposed to, you know, a short, intense one hour workout in and out. Um, and that's kind of stuff we, we always knew for years. But the benefit is, you know, coaches, their mindset isn't like strength coaches so if you can show them like hey this is what happened you know in black and white um work you know that can kind of change their um mentality of how they have their work their practice plans so it's not a three hour four day a week and then why are they tired right so you're able to get some more data at least with the app and be able to show them hey their their cns is destroyed right now mm -hmm. um you're killing them. Not, they're not able to, able to perform in the weight room or in practice right now. Yeah. So, I mean, it basically, it, I mean, it's very expensive. These, these uh, programs are like 30,000 a year, you know, um, to use the equipment. Um, and I want to say they provide like unlimited support. And um, there's some other ones that we've tried also a force plate. Um, I don't right. know if you guys have, use that at all but it's pretty cool stuff i'm just not sure it's like pinpoint accuracy on how it is because some of the data we've gotten um with the force plate isn't really congruent with the athlete as we know them and how they perform so some people it says this person is just off the charts awesome and then we're kind of like you know or you know or this person does everything right and they are broken all the time because um, the, the force plate basically measures um, three things, you know, basically their load and um, drive and um, forget one other thing. But basically it'll show what they're weak at and that's how you want to train them. You know, if they're if eccentrically, they're bad, you know, you might want to do some eccentric or, you know, all that kind of stuff or front spots. There's different exercises that. Um, the company has suggested that if they're weak at this, do this. Um, and, and I think that's where this profession needs to go eventually once it gets figured out. Otherwise, 
you know, just training your strengths isn't the way to go. You want to be well-rounded and really work on what you're bad at. That's how you, you get better. Um, but until then, you got to kind of have a well-rounded approach um, if you don't have that kind of stuff. And that's kind of always set me straight. Some of the strongest people in the world have gotten very strong and, you know, performed very well in athletics, just having a squat rack floor and barbell and bumpers. So um, both ways work. There's you know, multiple ways to go about all this and nobody's wrong. Right. You show me a hundred strength coaches. We'll see a hundred different philosophies. Yeah. You know? So dude, I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Is there, if people want to reach out to you, how should they, uh, how should they do that? Um, I guess you can use the, the Instagram, the Mike Johnson strength. Probably all right. I check it periodically. So it should it's, be good. Uh, it's got some great content on there. Do you guys have anything else you want to add before we head out? I just appreciate you coming on and uh, giving the, the awesome content information. And I feel like this has really helped me as a, a coach, personal trainer, and I'm going to you know take it forward with me and help out my clients. All right. Well, let me know if you guys need anything. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Well, Thanks, Mike, Mike, thank you, man. You're welcome. Take care. Great well, that was really great. A job. Great episode. Thank you very much for uh, absolutely oh uh yeah so that was a uh a great episode that was a good really um large figure in my early development as a coach and i'm really glad that we we got mike on um i was just a college kid doing physique shows who thought i knew everything because I had a six pack and uh, I went, walked in the weight room acting like a asshole. And Mike told me, Hey man, maybe you should uh, not act that way. And uh, people will respect you more. And so I put a t-shirt on and stopped flexing, uh, stopped flexing my, um, you know, biceps so much and tried to put my head down and get strong and, clean some racks and mm-hmm. and learn how to learn about sports performance instead of just um physique training so um yeah mike was has been a reference for me for pretty much every job in this field i've ever used for graduate school and all that stuff so um you guys have anything you want to add I, I was, was your I, first experience with him uh through the the camp that we both attended so i met I met him at um, doubles right before before you joined the team. Um, b- before you joined us, the cheer team, he came in and gave us a seminar, and I was asking him uh, about about uh, nonlinear periodization and all these like I was this super nerdy exercise science kid, it's really uh, technical terms, really technical terms, and he just goes, <laughs> "Dude, I don't know." <laughs> that's that's the sign of a great coach. He, he's honest um, and. He just tells you straight up. He's like, you're saying he's he was up front with you. Yeah. What's that? He's an awesome yeah. dude. He's just an oh, awesome yeah. dude. I, I think what's neat, I mean, the overall, their overall theme is some of the things that we were doing with our guest, guest speakers is that they, uh, there are mentors, you know, and, and mentors are, are incredibly, incredibly power, powerful to a young person. And the fact that all three of you and even myself have had mentors, you know, I definitely encourage our listeners to go out there. If you know somebody that you respect, don't be afraid to go up and approach them and say, mm-hmm. Look, you know, I, I need some help and some guidance. Um, do you think you can give it to me? No matter if it's personal, professional, relationship, whatever. Uh, mentors, um, you have them for life. I, I mean, 
I think Josh and Mike are going to be connected for the rest of their lives because of how much Josh respects them. And, and I know I've had a mentor uh, that I had you know, 30 years ago, and we're still friends to this day. So I highly encourage that. Just like Mike said, you know, you can read all the books you want. You can be as nerdy as you want about exercise science or, you know, whatever field you're in, but especially this field, you need if you've never actually coached someone and you can't connect with people, um, you're not going to be successful in this industry. And the best way to learn how to do this is to actually get in and do it hands-on, especially if you want to be a strength and conditioning coach. I worked for free for three and a half years. Um, you know, I, you know, I'm making money now, but for three and a half years, I was putting in hours without getting paid. Um, so I was working nights at a, a warehouse loading trucks. Um, so, you know, it's, it's one of those industries where, you know, it, you have to get an education somehow. And the best way to learn it is to learn from someone else. And many times, uh, they're not going to pay you. So, cause they're giving freely of their time to teach you. So you guys have anything else you want to add? Before we wrap this one up, I, I agree with the hands-on experience, like being able to work with your your coach and you know whether you're cleaning equipment or you know them giving you like just putting you on the spot and having you train their athletes and clients. That's a great experience. If it's free, hey, it's going to pay off later in life, and you're going to take those relatable, you know, interpersonal skills because, like you said, Josh, like you can read all the books you want, but until you, you can be relatable as a coach and have the psychology and the understanding of people and how how to bring out the best in them. Dude, that that free internship, take it, guys. If you're gonna pursue a strength and conditioning career, I'd say it's at least sixty oh. percent of it. Yeah, I mean, books are great because you need to read books. I mean, you grow through the people you meet, the places you go, and the books you read. But not just books. You gotta you gotta go meet people and go places mm-hmm. and learn through those other avenues as you well. You gotta talk to people. You have yes. to talk to people. Yes. If you, if you if you don't have good interpersonal skills. Then mm-hmm. it's just it's just not the not the career for you unless right. you can develop them. Unless you're a good learner, you're a good listener, then it's something that can be taught. But the thing is, relationships in this business are 100% all of the business. Absolutely. Which is, which is why as a life coach, I have job security. <laughs> Absolutely. So you can follow me on Instagram at Sarge Josh. You can find me at JoshSargent.com. You can find Dave. Dave.shep on Instagram, and then my uh, website is potentialandeveryone.com. And my Instagram is Mr. Coco Burton. Mr. Connor Burton, that was my old Instagram. And my website is ConnorBurtonTraining.com. Perfect. Yep. And then you follow Trevor at uh, T Chase Powers on Instagram and T Powers Fit.com uh, on, uh, yeah, my website. Perfect. And our website is bluecollarfitnesspodcast.com. Thanks for joining us, guys. We'll see you next time. We have a very buff guest on next time. So uh, get ready for some muscle building talk. We are going to have it coming at you raw and uncut. We're going to hear the meathead. uh, Yeah, the the, the meathead madness going on. So get ready for some muscle building talk. All right. Exactly. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening, y'all.